Let's open our Bibles, please, to the 21st chapter of John's Gospel. If we, anyone does not have a Bible, there are plenty of them there in the hallway. John chapter 21, if you will. I want to read verses 1 through 14, and then we'll come back and talk about it. After these things, Jesus showed Himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed He Himself, or after this manner, on this wise. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus. And Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, this would be James and John, and two other of his disciples. <clears throat> Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said, uh, saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. <clears throat> therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. By the way, his outer garment, it doesn't mean that Peter was nude. It means that he had his outer garment off, and he was in a attire uh, with the lower part of his body covered, so that he would be able to do better work at fishing. Anytime you find this word naked in the Bible, it does not always mean... Sometimes does, but not always mean completely without any clothing. So he girt his fisher's coat, his cloak, outer garment, unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, that's about three hundred feet, dragging the net with fishes. <clears throat> as soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, an hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh, and taketh bread, and giveth them, and fish likewise. Now, this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. Now then, we've been studying the miracles of uh, John's gospel. And by the way, some of you may not have a chart. And so, if you don't have one, Ron will give you one. If you don't have one of these charts of our studies in John's uh, the miracles of John's gospel will slip your hand up and we'll get you a, a, a copy of it. We'd like for everyone to have one. We're on the last of these miracles and uh, we're going to study this last one. There are eight miracles in John's gospel. There are seven before the cross and this miracle is after the resurrection. This uh, multiplication or we call it the uh, miraculous draught of fishes. And so, we find here that it's the last one that we have recorded. Of the seven before the cross, and if you have one of the little lesson sheets, of those seven, the first three tell us how to be saved. 
The fourth one tells us the human instrumentality in salvation. And the last three of those seven tell us the results of salvation is peace and light and life. And then after that, we find one miracle after the resurrection. And that's the one we're studying tonight. And we've already covered a great deal of these things in our teachings. And uh, I think that most of us are familiar with it. We can give you a, a recap of it later on. Our main purpose is found in John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. And it says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. Now, signs are signs or wonders, which are not written in this book. And then verse 31 says, But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. So the purpose is revealed. These, John says, I have written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have life through His name. Now then we come to this uh, 21st chapter and uh, the last of the miracles, and this is the one that was after the resurrection. We're going to just kind of take this verse by verse and expound it a little bit. We've already read where there was a miraculous drought of fishes. There was 153 uh uh, great fishes it says great and uh, the Bible teaches us that uh, this was quite a miraculous draw of fishes now if you think about it for a moment someone has said and I don't know this I cannot prove it but there was exactly 153 different species of fish in the in the uh, sea there that they were fishing now then this is mere uh, hearsay or commentary that you might get from someone somewhere. But I have read that. And furthermore, it shows us, if that be the case, it shows us that Jesus is taking in of all kinds into the net. If there are all these different kinds of fish. And to me it would indicate that the gospel is for all people of the world. Whatever you uh, color, race, uh, social standing or whatever... Uh, the gospel is for everyone. You know, the little boys and girls used to sing a song, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And we used to sing that up here. But uh, regardless of that, we know it was a miraculous draw to fishes. But I want us to go back and take verse by verse and see some things that we need to see as we comment on it. Uh, verse 1, after these things, Jesus showed Himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Now notice this, and on this wise showed Himself. So the manner in which He appeared to them was very important. On this wise, or after this manner, according to what is written here, this is the way He appeared to them, and it was for a purpose. <clears throat> this is the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias. And it says in verse 2, There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of, uh, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, this is James and John, and two other of his disciples. These two, last two, are unnamed. We don't know which of the two uh, were there. We're not told. Verse 3 says, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. Now, when we think of this experience of the disciples, 
We think of Peter and the others that went fishing with him. Someone has said that they probably were hungry and they needed to go back and and catch uh, fish so they'd have a supply of food. Others have uh, used the argument that Peter may have become restless and uh, wanted to do something and he was uh, just going ahead of the Lord. And that very well possibly could be true. But at any rate, without seeking God's guidance in anything, whether it be the secular work that we need to be about, or whether we're just running off without getting any direction as to whether we go, we still realize, we still need to come to realize that acting without divine orders is a dangerous thing. And that it is fruitless. It proved to be in the case of Peter and these fishermen. We cannot judge Peter's motives and we would not dare to do that because everyone has a reason for what they do. But on the other hand, if he was just uh, uh, impatient and was just saying, well, I'm going to go back to my old business and uh, disappointed because of the things that had happened. And remember, he had denied the Lord three times. I don't think uh, I know he went out and wept bitterly and he was restored to fellowship. And yet, I think it takes a little while to get over these things when we uh, make a big mistake like that. And he had forsaken all to follow Christ earlier. And now, maybe he's looking back to the old life. Thinks, well, Jesus died and He was resurrected and we've seen the Lord. We know He's alive. But we thought He'd come and set His kingdom up on this earth and He didn't do that. And uh, maybe He was just a little bit Impatient. And everything about this scene speaks of defeat. Notice some things about it. It was is in the dark, and this would indicate that they were not walking in the light. There was no direct word from the Lord. They, uh, they had not prayed about it. Their efforts met with failure. They did not recognize Christ when He did appear on the shore. This could be showing that their spiritual vision was dim as well as their physical vision because they were very familiar with what Jesus looked like. And another thing, Peter led other the other six men astray when he made his hasty decision. Sometimes we make a well-meaning but unscriptural activities and we make hasty decisions and then we have to pay for it later. Someone said, I know God's leading me and we just go off here some as the old saying is, half-cocked, not ready to go. And what happens? We end up a few miles down the road and we say, well, you know, I'm not so sure that God was leading me in that matter. I got a little excited and I was a little impatient and I wanted to do this or that or the other. And we get to going without guidance. We need to pray about decisions. Take time to make decisions. Do not make hasty decisions. We need to ask God's guidance. And put it before the throne of grace when we make these decisions. And it seems like that that was lacking in this case. So, what do we find here? Simon Peter says, I go fishing. His influence, for good or bad, was followed. Whether he went out to catch some some, uh, fish just because they needed it, or whether he was going ahead of the Lord, running ahead of God. His influence was very uh, meaningful, wasn't it? Because they followed him. It says in verse 3, when he said, I go fishing, they said to them, we're also going too. We're going with you. And it says they went forth immediately. See, all this hasty action, not only by Peter, but all of them. And it says, 
It says, and that night they caught what? Nothing. These were not amateur fishermen. I mean, they knew what they were doing. They made their living at this. But they caught, they were fruitless. Sometimes our best efforts are not good enough. We need God in our everyday affairs. If this was an everyday affair with them, if they were just seeking to, to get uh, food, catch fish, we need God even in our everyday affairs. And so they should have sought the Lord even if they were going fishing without being impetuous or impatient. So whatever you and I do, whether our motives are right or wrong, and as Peter here, we don't, we're not judging his motives, whether it's right or wrong, he needed to get God's guidance in the matter, whatever the reason for him going fishing. Immediate response and action followed Peter's uh, influence upon them. You know, Peter was the denier and Thomas was the doubter. You have the denier and the doubter together. It says Peter and Thomas. Look, there were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus. So these two, they made a pair, didn't they? And we find that it was nighttime, not walking as children of light, no evidence of divine leading, but rather human impulse. Sometimes we just move on impulse. We need to move on reason instead of just impulse. You ever heard a person say, well, I just felt like I ought to do this. Well, you may feel like it, but ask God if that's the right thing that you're feeling like doing. You know, a lot of people feel like doing a lot of things that are not right, that are unscriptural, well-meaning, but maybe unscriptural and unwarranted for their actions. We need to check it out and make sure that we're right with God in the whole matter. The Bible commends a person that handles a matter wisely. There was no prayer, no seeking God or divine guidance, a lack of prayer, and they caught nothing. The result of laboring in the energy of the flesh... When you labor in the energy of the flesh, you're going to be unsuccessful. The Bible tells us that we need the energy of the Holy Spirit in what we do. Back in the Old Testament, it says, With them is the arm of flesh, but with us, with us is the Lord our God to fight our battles. And when we go in the energy of the flesh, we're not going to be successful. We need to trust that God will bless and anoint our lives with, in whatever uh, avenue of service we take. There's so many people, you know, have you heard preachers that it seems like I used to be, they had a debate and uh, Dr. J. Frank Norris and another fellow and the other guy had made the remark that when you had a weak point, you had to shout real loud. And so he was preaching on baptismal regeneration. It was with the Church of Christ, Camelite preacher that Dr. J. Frank Norris had this debate. When this guy got to baptism, he started screaming real loud. Because baptismal regeneration is really not taught in the Bible. You're saved by grace through faith. And baptism is a picture of salvation. And so he screamed it out. And it was very evident. The very remark he made about a weak point, he turned around and tried to emphasize it so much that everyone detected immediately that he was on a weak point. So sometimes, you know, loud... Is not always best and not always good. Well, we got we got people nowadays that crank up their music so loud that you can't even hear what's said. You don't know if it's music or the beat of the drum or just a bunch of noise. And because it's a lot of real fanciful noise and it's just drowning your ears, it's supposed to be good. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. 
I enjoyed the young ladies singing tonight. With the piano or without the piano. With the guitar or without the guitar. It doesn't make any difference. If it's with the Lord, that's all that counts. And that's the important thing. So, sometimes we can get very uh, wrapped up in the energy of the flesh. And by the way, it wasn't just Peter. This whole company, they followed along, didn't they? Sometimes we single out Peter because, uh, you know, he's the leader. But you remember back when Peter denied the Lord, they, it says, I will, I'm, I'll never forsake you. I'm ready to go with thee, thee to prison and to death. And concerning those particular points, it says, likewise said they all. See, he was not the only one who was guilty. It says, likewise said they all. They all were going in the energy of the flesh at that time. When Peter was determined, self-confident, overconfident in himself, in the flesh. So sometimes we just use him because he's the outstanding one, but they're all guilty. And so are we. we. We make the same mistakes. We point out all the mistakes Peter made, and you and I make them readily. But anyway, verse 4 says, But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But his disciples knew not that it was Jesus. They did not recognize him when he did appear. Now, he stood on the shore. I don't know how far away it was, but remember he had appeared to them before after his resurrection. This is now the, what, third time that he appears to them. I believe by now they probably could have recognized him. But you know, uh, sometimes our spiritual, our physical vision becomes dim and so does our spiritual vision. And Christ's presence among us is sometimes not recognized. You know, Jesus is in our midst. The Bible says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Sometimes we have the church service and we think, well, Jesus is up in heaven. Well, He is. He's seated on the right hand of the Father, but He promised that He would be in our midst too. And if we would recognize this, how would we act in the house of God? Remember, Paul told Timothy, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. The more we realize that Jesus is in our midst, the more it sobers our thoughts and makes us more reverent when we think that Jesus is actually here. And we ought to have that kind of an attitude and, and thought about it when we're assembled together. Because He's promised to be here. And if He is here, as He says then we ought to put away all foolishness and all uh, uh, things that would be displeasing to the Lord, whatever they are. I don't know what all they are, but we have a lot of things I'm sure He's displeased with. So let's try to act pleasing unto God in the house of God because Jesus is in our midst. But it says, Jesus stood on, when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but His disciples knew not, it, not that it was Jesus. Jesus stood on the shore. When we think of the time, there was darkness through the night, but now it's morning. When the morning was now come, they, they had toiled what? They had toiled that night and caught nothing. But now it's morning. Remember the Scripture talks about uh, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Have you ever been in the hospital uh, for a long period of time and, and it seems like the nights are so long? And then when the morning comes, something just about morning, that the pain is a little lesser sometimes, you think, well, it's a new day. And just the thought of morning does something for you. And how much more in the things of God? 
When the darkness of sin and the darkness of troubles and the darkness of trials endure for a night, and then the Lord is on the scene and He stood on the shore and the morning light shines, there's a difference, isn't there? But listen, Jesus was there all the time. He was there all the time. Though He was not present with them, He was still there on the shore. He knew what they were doing out there. He knew their frailties. He knew their uh, failures. I want to read a couple of verses of Scripture for you. One is Psalm 121, verse 4. Psalm 121, in verse 4, it says, Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. He that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. Okay? And Daniel chapter 2, verse 22 says this. 2.22 It says, He revealeth the deep secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with Him. So, for God, there's no such thing as night. He knows what is in the darkness, and light, the light dwelleth with Him. See, God, the Lord can see in the dark. And He, he could see the disciples out there in that little boat, little ship, trying to catch fish in the middle of the night and until the morning, and he knew what was going on. So you and I, in the darkness of our trials and our efforts, the Lord knows what's going on. There's not anything that's secret to him. That verse of Scripture we read in uh, Daniel 2, verse 22, the very first part of it says, "He He revealeth the deep and secret things. Because he knows what they are. And there's no darkness. So, they knew not that it was Jesus. Sometimes Jesus is there when we don't recognize Him. But His presence is there. Jesus stood on the shore after a night of failure. Verse 3. Immediately, they entered the ship. That night, they caught nothing. Jesus stood on the shore at the breaking of the day when the morning was now come. Jesus was there. Jesus stood on the shore to lead them to confession. Look at verse 5. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? They answered Him, No. Children, have you any meat? It's good that we recognize the fruitlessness of our best efforts without God. And Jesus wanted to bring that to light. He brings sin to light. He brought their fruitlessness to light too, didn't He? What happened? We said He brings sin to light. What happened with the woman of Samaria? He came to give her living water. And she says, Sir, give me of this water that I don't have to come hither to draw. He says, Well, you go call your husband and bring him. She says, Sir, I have no husband. And what did Jesus say? In that saidest thou truly, Thou hast had five husbands, and the one that thou hast now is not thy husband. He brought all of it to light. He knew all about her. And then after that was revealed in a little conversation about where to worship God in Jerusalem or on this mountain, Jesus said the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The time has come and now is. And she went away. She left her water pot and went away into the city and said, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? What did he do? Told me all things that ever I did. He brought my sins to light. Here he brought their failure to light. He says, children, have you any meat? We need to be reminded sometimes that we cannot do anything without the Lord. All of our efforts that we put forth 
If we do not seek God's guidance, then many times it ends up fruitless. That's what happened to them. But he stood on the shore to reveal, to lead them to confession. And by the way, they did good. They answered him, no. An honest answer is better. You know, they say confession is good for the soul. And I think they they were better off by saying no than trying to pretend they had something they didn't have. Said, well, you know, we we have something over here in the boat, leftovers of yesterday maybe. But children, have you any meat? They answered him, what? No. You and I ought to be able to admit that we have nothing without the Lord and without His help. They answered him, no. No pretense, no excuses, but open and straightforward. We need a, a confession of our need. We need the Lord. We used to sing a song, I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. And we do need the Lord every hour. Jesus stood on the shore to test their faith. Look at verse 6. He said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. Now remember, this time they had not recognized that it was Jesus. Think of the power of His Word. Cast the net on the right side of the ship and ye shall find the power of His Word. They didn't know it was Jesus, and yet His Word had such power that they could not resist doing what this stranger on the shore told them to do. You know, the Bible says that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's the Word of God. Hebrews 4, verse 12. Verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. And by the way, with whom we have to do, we do have with Him to do. See, everything we do is in relationship to the Lord. With whom we have to do. That would be a good sermon within itself. So, think of this for a moment. They... The word of Jesus, in spite of the fact that they did not know who it was, affected them so that they obeyed it. It says, they cast therefore. They cast therefore. Look at that. And now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. The miraculous draw of fishes. So what did he really? He was standing on the shore. He saw them all the night when they were failing. He saw them early in the morning when they didn't even know who he was. And he spoke the word of power. And when he said that, they, they obeyed. And as a result, he turned their failure, their night of failure, into a morning of success. That's what God is able to do for you and I. You say, well, I failed in this and that and the other. Well, if you have failed, the Lord is able to turn it into success. If you, but what? Obey His word. He'll turn it into success. See, that's the important thing is obedience. We sing a song, trust and obey. Trust is faith. Have faith and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You see, we say we have faith, but do we have obedience? So, both are necessary. It says they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. The success was the result of direct obedience to His Word. We've already said it's quick and powerful. Not only was there success, but the catch was a multitude of fishes. It was more than success. I can imagine that just half that number, a fourth of that number, would have been success to them. 153 great fishes. And they were not able to draw it. This is very important. I want you to notice this statement because we find later on that Peter Peter drew it to the land. 
Last part of verse 6. And now they, that's the, all of these disciples, there were seven of them, they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Jesus stood on the shore to prove what they could catch. And yet Peter drew this net. Look down in verse 10 and 11. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have... Look at that word now. Which ye have now caught. They hadn't caught any before, had they? See that word now? Look at the... Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, and 153. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Look at what one man can do that a whole group of them didn't, were not able to do. And he drew the net to land himself. This was a miracle in itself that Peter could draw that net to the land full of great fishes. He went up and drew it to the land. So they caught a great catch of fishes. In God's strength, Peter could do what all the disciples were unable to do. You know, one man and the Lord is a majority. Talk about majorities of people. One person in God. If you'll let God lead you, He'll make you sufficient to have strength. Look at the Apostle Paul. He went about doing the things that he did and he suffered from every aspect of persecution and opposition that that, uh, you could find. Finally, he says, a great door and effectual. That means... Producing the desired results. A great door and effectual is open unto me. A door of service. And what does he say? And there are many adversaries. Therefore I'm going to leave and go somewhere else. No. He stuck it out, didn't he? He says, and there are many adversaries. And any time you, as a child of God, begin to try to serve God, you're going to meet with opposition. You just well mark it down. There's going to be some people will not like it. Others will. Thank God for the ones that do, huh? Because there will be some people that will not like it and they'll put you down and they'll talk about it and they won't have anything to do with it. But there are always some that God has ready to hear. And the Bible says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And that means more than just with your physical ears. That means with your heart and with your soul. With all that's within you. Remember back in the Old Testament, there were many men that went up against great opposition. Remember old Samson? What happened to Samson? God gave him strength and he took the jawbone of an ass and he slew the Philistines that were coming against uh, God's people. You remember David? Remember all of his big brothers? And God told uh, Samuel, he says, don't look at these big guys. He says, I have still someone. They're, they're, they're too big in themselves. They're valiant men, all right. Says Jesse, do you have any more sons? He said, Well, there's one more. He's the youngest, and he's out there tending the sheep. But he's just a lad. Said, Go and bring him. God told Samuel, He says, Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. So he says, That little shepherd boy, David, he's the one I've chosen to be king. So this little David boy goes out and he gets his sling, and he goes up to the brothers and he's talking to them about this giant that's. Defying the uh, defying God and the armies of Israel, and he says, "Why doesn't someone do something about this?" And the big brothers say, "Well, you just come out here to see the battle. You better go on back home." So David goes down and he gets him a, a sling. He gets a sling and he gets five smooth stones out of the brook. By the way, five is the number of grace. And this giant Goliath had four big brothers too. So anyway, he t- chooses these five stones, and he goes out against this giant. Goliath with his little sling and with the stones. And one man 
did what all the army had not been unable to do, is defeat the Philistines by defeating their leader. David was able to do that. He took that sling and one stone hit him right in the center of the forehead and the giant fell down flat. And that was the end of it. David won the victory. Why? God was with him. He says, you come to me in the name of all uh, all these other names that the giant Goliath had come, but he says, I come unto you in the name of the Lord God of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. He says, I'm coming to you in, God, in God's name. And he's the one that's doing this. By the way, he put off old Saul wanted to furnish his armor, and he loaded him down with his armor, and David put it off. He says, I don't want this stuff. I'm not familiar with this. He says, I haven't proven it. I don't know what kind of armor this is. I'll get weighted down with all this stuff, and I can't go against that giant. By the way, sometimes we get weighted down with the wrong kind of armor. We need to just be ourselves. David said, I'll just be me. I'll just go out and get my sling. He says, I slew a lion and a bear. And he says, I'm able to take care of this giant too. You go in God's name. And you go with God's power. Jesus stood on the shore to provide for their needs. Look at verse 9. As soon, Look at this. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread. I wonder if this fire of coals doesn't remind Peter of something. Remember, he stood by the fire right, and he was with the wrong crowd when he denied the Lord. He stood by the enemy's fire. He was in the wrong company. But now he sees a fire of coals. Jesus had made this and fish laid thereon and bread. We can learn from this that Jesus is not dependent on our own poor efforts. Sometimes we think if we don't save the world, it'll not be saved. Well, He wants us to do what we're supposed to do and called to do. But Jesus didn't save the world either. He died for the sins of the world. He gave us a job to do. We're to preach the gospel. But He says, other sheep I have, John chapter 10, other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Now listen carefully. Them also must I bring. He's the one that brings. You and I are the ones that serve. And when anyone is brought into the fold, it's by His power and by His uh, Holy Spirit and by His work and by His Word that the miraculous new birth and the saving of that soul is wrought. It doesn't excuse us for not doing what we're supposed to do. Remember the fourth miracle we studied was that the disciples were the human instruments in giving out the bread of life. Christ is the bread of life. Remember that there was Philip and Andrew. You know, Philip's, Jesus said to Philip, He says, when, where are we going to buy bread? When shall we buy bread that these made? Philip turns to Andrew. Andrew turns to, to the lad. He, Andrew says, there's a lad here that has five loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? What good is this? So you find Philip and Andrew... And the little lad with five barley loaves and two small fishes. Then you find that when Jesus was given those loaves and fishes, and I'm sure that there was nothing to keep this little boy from saying, here they are, Lord. I know that you can use this. Whatever you do with it, I, I, I just have enough for lunch. So he took it, and what happened? He gave the bread, he broke it, and gave it to the disciples and the fish likewise. And they distributed to the multitudes. So we find that we all have a part, don't we? We all have a part. But it's only the Lord that can miraculously multiply that bread and those fishes to feed satisfactorily 5,000 men beside women and children. So it doesn't excuse us from the work that we're supposed to do. 
But what I want you to see here is that Jesus is not dependent upon us for the breakfast. Look here. He had the he had a fire of coals there and fish laid there on and bread. See, he has other fish besides what we catch. He has a fire besides what we kindle. He's not completely dependent on us. We're dependent on Him. And so He says in verse 10, Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Notice that word now again. And we read that. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask Him, Who art thou? Knowing knowing that it was the Lord. Knowing that it was the Lord. Now this is the third time. This is now the third time that Jesus showed Himself to His disciples after that He was risen from the dead. I want us to think about Jesus standing on the shore during all this time. And and let's draw some practical lessons from it. How does the text apply to us now? All the night, we might use that term, Jesus stood on the shore for a text. For a moment. He stood on the shore in the night of your sickness. He was there all the time. When your home was almost broken apart, Jesus is there. When your children are falling into sin, son or daughter, some of your children are not doing right and you're trying to keep them uh, in the Lord's hand and keep them from sin and evil. The Lord is there. He knows what you're going through. When your whole world is, seems to be falling apart. When, have you ever heard people say, everything's falling apart? The Lord's there. When you were in financial distress, sometimes you've been in financial distress and the Lord will bring you out of that. He'll help you. He wants you to use wisdom, knowledge, but He'll help you through it. Jesus stood on the shore when you'd lost a loved one, one of your family. When your heart was broken, when it's torn with grief, when you might have asked him, God, why did this happen to me, to him or to her? But he knew best, and he does all things well. You look, have to look back on it and say, Jesus doeth all things well. You have to say, he or she, boy or girl, man or woman, was in the Lord's hand. When you felt yourself to be a failure, you felt like, well, I failed in this. Jesus is there. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe there was discouragement or disappointment. Depression. When all the enemies of the soul were waging battle against you. You seem like the world, the flesh, and the devil. These three great enemies. The world with all of its allurements. The flesh with all of its passions. And the devil with all of his wiles and his snares and his temptations. Jesus was there. And when there was no peace for your troubled soul. Jesus said, let not, listen, I've always loved this scripture, John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. We become so troubled. We're all human and we get those troubles, anxieties and problems. And and we try to take them. We get our eyes off the Lord. That's what Peter did in the latter part of this chapter. He got his eyes off the Lord and, and Jesus had just said, follow me. And Peter in verse 21, seeing this disciple, John, seeing him... Uh, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? What about this fellow? Jesus saith to him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. He had already said, Peter, you follow me. He said, Peter, feed my lambs. Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. Three times. Lambs and sheep twice. The little ones and all the grown ones. says, This is your job. 
Don't worry. Let every fellow, let there be a Billy Graham and let him do his work. There will be an Oral Roberts and let him do his. There will be these guys that, that other, other men that are great, uh, greatly known. Let them do theirs. But you and I have to learn to do what we can do. I only try to do what God... God has called me to preach. God has called me to teach. God has called me to pastor. And I try to focus on that one thing. You know, the Bible says, this one thing I do, Paul said. So now we're doing a jillion things and don't do any of them right. But uh, we, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Now, quickly, when you did not know where to turn for spiritual help. You know, there are many people in this world today that are turning from one church to another, from one religion to another, from one denomination to another, and they don't know where to go for spiritual help. Well, listen. First of all, go to God's Word and then go to the Lord through His Word and through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where it's all revealed. And God says He's magnified, I believe it's Psalm 138, verse 2, that the Lord has magnified His Word above all His name. And the reason He's done that is because it's in His Word that you learn of His name. That you know of Him. That you know why He is what He is. Turn to Christ, His Word, and follow His directions, and obey His commands. And someday in the future, it may be said, Jesus stood on the shore in glory, waiting to bring peace to a troubled world.